Hey everybody, welcome to OK Talks. I'm your host, Oliver Kendall. I'm a lifelong political nerd with a background in international relations and security policy, who's worked for a number of democratic campaigns and liberal political organizations. I've also had the opportunity to live outside the US for a number of years, which I think puts me in a good position to comment for my American audience on some events of note going on outside the country and to interpret for my, I'm pleased to say, growing non-American audience, just what the hell's going on in American politics. Well, it's over. Four years, 16,500 lies, and at least 400,000 dead Americans later, it's over. I, Joseph Robinette Biden Jr., do solemnly swear that I will faithfully execute that I will faithfully execute the office of President of the United States. Office of President of the United States. And will, to the best of my ability, will, to the best of my ability, preserve, protect, and defend. Preserve, protect, and defend. The Constitution of the United States. The Constitution of the United States. So help you God. So help me God. Congratulations, Mr. Thank President. Now, there will be a temptation to repress the bad memories generated by four years of quote-unquote leadership by by far the worst president in American history, and almost certainly the worst modern world leader of any first world democracy. Congratulations, Silvio Berlusconi, you are now officially off the hook. But we can't do that. We can't move on without holding accountable, politically and where applicable, legally, those who did wrong by the American people and the world. And we furthermore, as American voters, have a responsibility to keep the last four years burned into our memory as a reminder of the stakes that can exist in a presidential election. So I think it's worth taking stock of where we are after four years. Now I debated how to organize this little attempt to summarize some of the greatest hits of the Trump presidency. I thought about dividing between domestic policy and foreign policy and damage to our democracy and culture, or by dividing into corruption, incompetence, cruelty, and authoritarian tendencies, but, you know, I figure I'll just start semi-chronologically and see where I land. Now, Trump started his administration by appointing a set of foxes to guard the various henhouses in the form of a wave of lobbyists and industry insiders, with a few Fox News idiots and wackadoodle conspiracy theories mixed in for fun, to, uh, regulate their own industries. You know, draining the swamp. That's how we got a massive weakening of a number of pollution standards across the board, scientists drummed out of various government agencies, and overtime pay taken away from about half of all of the workers who were previously eligible, to name just a couple of things. Besides the implementation of deliberate, terrible policy, the appointment to the Trump administration of, well, the kind of person who would willingly work for Donald Trump resulted in an almost comical number of resignations and disgrace following a slew of scandals ranging from absurdly overpriced office redecorations to a fondness for, uh, let's say, taxpayer-funded vacations. Corruption continued to be arguably the North Star of the administration throughout. They say a fish rots from the head, and of course, Trump himself displayed zero hesitancy to use his post to shovel taxpayers' cash toward himself and his offspring, like his endless paid-for-by-you-and-me trips to his golf properties, Remember, that means that the Trump Organization gets to build a secret service, which is obligated to go with him, just about whatever they want. Or rerouting military transports to stop near his hotel so we get to bill them too. 
He was also receiving almost a constant stream of payments from foreign governments in the form of officials from certain countries, with particularly heavy representation by the Saudis and other Gulf states, who showed an understandable eagerness to spend as much time and money as possible in Trump's hotel. And besides those violations of the Emoluments Clause, who among us didn't enjoy seeing his daughter and senior staff hawking products from the White House grounds? The corruption extended beyond self-enrichment to include numerous flagrant obstructions of justice and attempts to gain political benefit. This started with impeding the investigation into his 2016 campaign's possible cooperation with an enemy intelligence agency, and continued in the form of dangling and ultimately delivering pardons to those convicted in the probe. It also occurred in the form of extorting a vulnerable ally country for help, taking down a political opponent, browbeating local election officials to falsify results in his favor, and pardoning those corrupt political operatives who committed crimes for him and didn't ultimately see the light and flip on him. The incompetence that resulted in the death by COVID-19 of more Americans than died in the entirety of World War II will probably be the first line on this administration's obituary, but we shouldn't forget that comical incompetence might beat out malevolence and corruption as the defining feature of this administration, from the criminal neglect of Puerto Rico after Hurricane Maria right down to their repeated refusal to spell-check press releases. When it comes to foreign policy, as I, <laughs> as I wrote in one of my first angry letters to the editor that ran in the Washington Post, an attempt to continue to feel involved after I skipped town and moved to Southeast Asia, I think, Trump's guiding principle across the board, but certainly in foreign policy, appeared to simply be to do the opposite of whatever it is he imagined Obama would have done. Start to fix relations with the Cubans after a half century of failed policy and unnecessary tension? You better mess that up. A deal that effectively froze the Iranian nuclear program? Yeah, sounds stupid. Better pull out of that. An alliance with our most reliable Middle East partners besides Israel, the Syrian Kurds, that decimated ISIS while barely costing America anything? It sounds nice, and the Syrian Kurds may have made massive sacrifices for this cause, but my buddy, the wannabe Sultan of Turkey, doesn't like the Kurds, so screw them. Let's pull out and leave them to a possible genocide. Stand up for democracy and human rights in Hong Kong, Xinjiang, or literally anywhere else besides the places that Florida voters care about? That doesn't sound important. Plus, we don't want to offend China, so we'll tell their president that sticking millions of people in concentration camps is a good idea. Putin's Russia interferes in our election, and that of at least one ally we know of, and then literally puts bounties on the heads of American soldiers in Afghanistan. Thank you, sir. May I have another? Cutting to the chase. After four years of this imbecile and his idiot son-in-law's attempted management of our foreign policy, America is somehow less loved, less respected, and less feared all at the same time, while being weaker geostrategically and in terms of our ability to trade. We've done untold damage to global human rights and liberal values by neglecting our traditional role of standing up for those things. And I haven't yet even mentioned the part where he almost got us into a nuclear exchange with North Korea by running his mouth. Fire and fury, folks, and, and frankly, power. And then in the style of former basketball sensation and current eccentric public weirdo Dennis Rodman somehow ended up best buds with and sending quote-unquote love letters to probably the single most illegitimate, cruel, and straight-up batshit head of state in the world, Kim Jong-un. Besides the corruption, incompetence, and bungling of foreign and domestic policy, we can't afford to forget the open cruelty and the attacks on democracy itself. This administration did a bunch of things that, frankly, if they happened in some other country, probably would have resulted in the U.S. levying sanctions against that country. 
The last four years have involved, for example, open encouragement by the president of police brutality, not to mention the declaration that there were very fine people on both sides, on both sides, of a fight in Charlottesville in which one of those sides were neo-Nazis, including a guy who ran over a woman with his car. We were all shocked by Trump's response to Charlottesville, but it turns out that that would be just one of many times that he gave air cover to violent right-wing lunatics, as I discussed in my last podcast episode. The last four years have also seen attempts to rig the census to undercount the kinds of people that, well, let's say the kind of people that some in the Republican Party would love an excuse to ignore, as I discussed further, I want to say, two podcast episodes ago. Also, the perpetual underreported attempts through a variety of creative means to kick millions of people off their health care, efforts that have not stopped, even after the emergence of a knock-on-wood-it'll-be-only-once-in-a-century pandemic. Of course, we can't have a conversation about cruelty in the last administration without mentioning the deliberate messing with asylum policy that resulted in all of us hearing and seeing small children who had fled with their families from violence in neighboring countries to the south, crying and begging to be given back to their parents after agents of Donald Trump's government took them away from their families and stuffed them into cages with concrete floors, space blankets, and a few unwashed mattresses. A lot of people over the last four years started saying about the Trump administration that the cruelty is the point. And, yeah, it's hard not to come to that conclusion. Even before the events at the Capitol on January 6th, but especially after, it's pretty hard not to also come to the conclusion that the attacks on democracy and the very idea of objective truth were also kind of the point. The last four years have involved, for example, Kellyanne Conway introducing us all to the concept of alternative facts. Also, a relentless administration-wide public campaign to attack and delegitimize journalism in the free press that took the form of everything from repeated performative jackassery aimed at journalists from real outlets whenever the press secretary actually bothered to hold a press briefing, to the president virtually refusing to put himself in front of actual journalists rather than just Fox hosts, to him frequently calling the free press the enemy of the people. I guess Lügenpresse was a bit too hard to pronounce, or spell. We also saw attempts by the president to deploy active-duty troops against protesters when he didn't like them. And when that failed, the assembly of a sort of paramilitary force made up of anonymous federal agents drawn from dark corners of Bill Barr's Department of Justice. I mentioned before Trump's attempts to browbeat local election officials into changing results in his favor, but it's worth noting again that his campaign was openly talking to journalists before the election about plans to try to overturn election results through possible street violence and brute political force. Some lower-profile attacks on our democracy include an almost unprecedented level of stonewalling of Congress by the administration, and a near-complete rejection of Congress's duty to provide oversight. I, of course, can't mention this without also crediting the complicity of congressional Republicans, especially during the first two years. Also, a, uh, let's say, creative use of emergency declarations to skip straight past Congress and steal money from the military to build Trump's stupid wall when Mexico, shockingly, declined to pay up. Outside the more focused theme of attacks on the integrity of our democracy, some miscellaneous terrible items that I forgot to mention earlier include ballooning the deficit with a massive tax giveaway to rich people and corporations, pulling out of the Trans-Pacific Partnership, which would have benefited our economy while helping put China in a box, 
Trump's lawyer going to the clink for illegally paying off the porn star with whom the president had an affair, a crime for which Cohen serves time while Trump apparently just gets off. Ugh, phrasing. And also stacking a full quarter of the judiciary with almost prepubescent extreme right appointments, a large number of whom were shockingly unqualified. Oh, and after all this, I haven't even mentioned Trump's Twitter account. Almost any single one of these scandals, or a number that I've probably just forgotten to mention, would have been the single biggest scandal of any other presidential administration. I know I, for one, missed the good old days when the worst thing a president could do was wear a tan suit to a press conference. And rattling off all this stuff, virtually off the top of my head, I've barely scratched the surface of the damage done by four years of a Trump presidency. I want to stipulate, for the record, that I think that it really is going to be necessary and critical to try to reach out to some of the 74 million-ish people who, for some reason, voted for Trump. I, for the life of me, can't understand what would bring someone to do that, but I share a country with these folks, so I think it would be a good thing if I did understand, or at least I'm willing to try. The hard work of winning this election is over, but now in order to fix the country, we're going to have to find some way to thread the needle of holding Trump and those around him accountable while not writing off everyone who voted for him. But as I said at the top, tempting though it will be now to put all this behind us as quickly as possible while basking in the glow of competence and basic decency emanating from Joe Biden and those around him, we can't afford to just forget, disengage, and move on. For one thing, the kinds of people who would like to engage in this same kind of dangerous anti-democratic behavior as Trump and his ilk did over the last four years will view failure to hold this bunch accountable as a green light to do it again the next time they have the chance. Unfortunately, several of the people who appear most likely to run for the Republican nomination in the future clearly share Trump's disinterest in liberal democracy while not being quite as titanically stupid, lazy, and incompetent. For another, the last four years should have made it pretty, f pretty clear just how high the stakes now are in who controls the presidency. I personally would have thought this was made pretty obvious by the immense long-term negative impact of, say, the Reagan and second Bush presidencies, but apparently there are some of us who still have not learned that lesson. Now more than ever, in our first-past-the-post system, when one of the two parties is today's Republican Party, which is increasingly apparently giving up on the notion of democracy, the choice is not between one candidate I mildly prefer versus another that I can live with where if the one I mildly prefer doesn't excite me enough, I might vote for a minor party candidate or just not show up. It's a choice between voting for whoever it is that's most likely to beat the Republican candidate, or risk, realistically, not having democratic elections, possibly, in the future. It's existential now. We might sometimes have to vote for someone we didn't support in the primary and frankly don't like, but everyone who supports the notion of democracy from the furthest left AOC supporter to a Lincoln Project Republican has to be ready to make some adult decisions. Democracy is on the ballot now, and it's likely to continue to be for a while. Finally, a part of my better judgment says not to rub it in so directly or to open old wounds. But after four years of Trump in charge, I can't help engaging in a little we-told-you-so-ism. I think we have a right. A responsibility, frankly, to make absolutely certain that it is understood that for now at least, American elections are a binary choice between whatever Democrat is on the ballot 
and a step toward ending democracy in America. To drive that home, I think it's fair to ask anyone who cares about liberal democracy and the basic competent functioning of American government, but refused to vote for Hillary in 2016 because she was the lesser of two evils, quite a decent bit less in retrospect, no? I mean, I just spent 15 minutes laying out a laundry list of colossal screw-ups and downright atrocities that have occurred over the last four years as a result of Donald Trump being the president, and I barely scratched the surface. If you think a President Clinton would have done anything like the things I mentioned, get a grip on reality, please. Your country needs you. Your species needs you. Your planet needs you. For the sake of our own people, we cannot ever allow anything like this to happen again. And speaking as someone in another country right now, as long as America remains the single country on Earth with the greatest capacity to impact all the other ones, we have a responsibility, not just to ourselves, but to every other human on this planet, to make sure that it doesn't. That's it for this episode of OK Talks. If you're enjoying the show so far and don't want to miss an episode, please hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you really want to do me a favor, please, you can like or review the podcast on one of those platforms or share it with other folks who might want to listen to it. As always, I want to thank my friend Nate Wright for designing the podcast artwork. Until the next episode, thanks for listening, and I hope you're enjoying having a fundamentally decent person surrounded by other fundamentally decent people running our country again, as much as I am right now, just a few hours after the inauguration, despite recording this fairly dark podcast episode. In any case, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.